everything's bigger in Texas, including climate change. That's why Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world are gathering to work with titans of industry to build the technology that will reduce emissions and power a low carbon future. We sit down with those change makers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with the leaders of the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done. I'm Lara Cottingham, and this is the Energy Technology Podcast. And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in. Great. Super excited today to have Danielle Basildua, uh, the CEO and founder of Ufree Electric Bikes. So first, start off telling us about Ufree. Well, hey, thanks so much for having me here. Um, it's a pleasure to, to, to join you guys today. Ufree, um, at Ufree, we make the, the most comfortable commuter style e-bikes, and um, we've been working on it for quite a while, and we ship all across the U.S. We're growing quite a bit right now, and uh, definitely high gas prices help us out. It's <laughs> good. Tell, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got into e-bikes. Yeah, so growing up, my dad was an entrepreneur, and I kind of always had the itch of entrepreneurship. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in college. Um, I think like I had my first like hustle or something in high school and then my dad helped me start like a tutoring company. And then, um, you know, I did like a multi-level marketing thing. If anyone approaches you with like, if you just recruit three friends, just slam the door on them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, because they, those three will not recruit through more friends, (laughs) but ultimately I, um, I worked for Exxon mobile and, I think around year three, I had like my first bad boss Mm -hmm. and I was like LinkedIn open to recruitment. And I I also, I think I knew like pretty early on working for Exxon that nothing against Exxon. Like I I really did enjoy working for them. They compensated me well and and other things, but um, I I think I knew that like the corporate culture wasn't really the right fit for me. Like Mm -hmm. Exxon is very much followed procedure. And I was like, what happens when we do that? And why can't we do that? And um, I kind of looked at it, it was like a, a failure of mine if I like ended my career at Exxon. Mm-hmm. And I kind of always kind of approached it like that. But I was just kind of working there for, you know, development and they paid well. <laughs> and then I started when I had that first bad boss, I was like, man, I'm going to leave this place. I absolutely like I'm so pissed off. And I just ended up, you know, kind of looking at, well, if I'm going to make a pivot, like what am I going to go to? And I started just looking at transportation as something that, whether it was electric vehicles, batteries, automation, LIDAR sensors, micromobility. Uh, it was just an industry that was going to change a lot over the next like 30 years. And I started just getting on podcasts, grinding out books and kind of seeing like what was there. Uh, how I ended up with e-bikes is that I read this book called No One at the Wheel. It's written by Samuel Schwartz. If you're into transportation, mm-hmm. I'd highly recommend it. But one stat I always tell people is that for every one car in the United States, there's six to eight parking spots or the real estate footprint of West Virginia. And that's just car parking. <laughs> and, um, you know, cities would look a lot different if you repurpose that. But in addition to that, like you still have to provide people a modal to get around. And the book talked about a lot of city planning things and other things. And I just started looking at different transportation options. It talked about, you know, how different cities like in Asia I lived in Singapore for a bit and there they definitely had a much different, you know, transportation system than in the United States. And it, it kind of, you know, just kind of gave me this opportunity to look at micromobility a little bit more. 
um, I got headhunted by Lime. Mm-hmm. And I almost went to work for them, but I was going to be like maintenance. I was a maintenance supervisor at Exxon and I was going to be their like maintenance manager for like all of Texas. And, you know, I did not want to work 1000 hours for <laughs> less pay than Exxon, <laughs> even if it included stock. And, uh, ultimately I, I told them no, but I, I made like a hodgepodge e-bike for funsies, just like parts off of eBay. Mm-hmm. And my little sister asked me to make her an e-bike and uh, I kind of told her like, well, Becca, this one's a bit janky. It cost me like $3,000. Um, why don't you just go buy one? And what she wanted, like the design features and aspects, like she lived in Boston and didn't have a car. And the aspects that she wanted, it was like a gazelle, which is like $4,000. And um, everything else, she was like, this is either really ugly. I have no desire to go 28 miles an hour. It's extremely heavy. And I just saw it as like a market opportunity. And I just started digging into the market. This led to that. I, one day I downloaded the previous year's uh, vendor like expo for the World Bicycle Expo in Taipei. And I just started cold calling people out of Asia. <laughs> and um, many, many, many moons later, um, and many, many ups and downs, now we're shipping bikes all across the US. Here what, you are. What iteration are you on now? It's like third or fourth generation? Uh, we're on our second generation. We're on our second generation okay. right now. Um, we have a few products in like detailed engineering phase right now. Okay, but um, we're on the second generation, and uh, you know that doesn't include all the like screw ups or samples <laughs> or you know like Ugh, that was ugly. And 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 how'd you how how has the product changed over those generations as you've gotten in the market? So I think one of the biggest things that when you launch a product is that you can do all this research. You know, there's that like famous quote by Mike Tyson, like everyone knows what they're doing until they punch in the face or something. And, you know, the reality is, is that I think one of the benefits to the direct consumer model, which is our primary business model, is that you get to speak to the customer and there's not a bunch of layers in between. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to the customer, they'll tell you what they want. And um, the problem is that you gotta choose which customer you're gonna cater to. Mm-hmm. And you have to you have to fully commit to it, and so, like I have a board member, and he would always you know kind of like like he's French, so he has these weird expressions like straighten your boots, <laughs> <laughs> which which is kind of like stick to your guns or whatnot. Yeah. Unstraight boots could cause it, it all could, kinds of all problems. sorts of problems. I think that's like, why that's yeah. why like, yeah. yes. <laughs> but uh, but he would he would just get get mad at me like um, and be like dude like you you won't like like commit to mm-hmm. a strategy and your strategic positioning is, is going to be your main thing and you're trying to do too many things and mm-hmm. you know if you're everything like why would i buy you as a company because you're all over the place and so overall we you know the majority the overwhelming majority of my customers are older people mm-hmm. i didn't predict that i i wanted to sell to jason <laughs> and he would ride around town on an e-bike and it and not use his car and it'd be so cool and he was green and all this stuff but like Jason's grandmother is the one who buys my e-bike. And it's so much better because they're the people that have money. They don't go over curbs. You know, they don't break it. They actually read the user manual. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, eventually we we listen to kind of their their design needs and requests and we just iterated our bike based on customer feedback. So are you a native Houstonian? Were you here? Were you from somewhere else? So I grew up on the border with uh, the U.S. and Mexico. Hmm. Okay. Just, when you hear like okay. immigration problems or like Ted Cruz going and hiding in like the bush um, <laughs> when, when he's not in Cancun. Um, I asked this because so 
part of what we talk about is kind of Houston and its role in the energy transition. And you mentioned that your dad was an entrepreneur and that you found your entrepreneur path after working at Exxon, which is like case example of Houston, right? And you're not the first person who I think we've heard of in the entrepreneur and energy transition and innovation space of I worked for a traditional energy company, um, maybe not the bad boss story, uh, but there's lots of reasons why now is the time that they kind of break free, right? They say, mm -hmm. I'm going to do something different. I had a different idea. So did that factor in, uh, did, did our space and our role in the energy transition factor in into your decision to start your own company and specifically e-bikes? Short answer, no. Um, so I, I've lived here in Houston seven years. There's a lot of benefits to Houston. Like I feel like from a startup perspective, if you want to get like there's tons of fab shops. Mm -hmm. There's tons of like if you're from like needing hardware built, there's a lot of 3D prototyping mm -hmm. companies here um, and a lot of like medical grade equipment that, you know, because of the medical center and other things. And also if you're importing or exporting, it's a great location. Um, but yeah, like I didn't, it was, it was more like a, just, I lived here. Mm -hmm. So sorry. Mm -hmm. it's not. No, 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 no. Like, I'm, I'm curious because it, everybody has a different story, but it's all kind of all coming together as part of this narrative of Houston and the companies that are here were opposed in a lot of cases to everything that we're talking about in terms of energy transition, right? There was this like divide between energy and climate and you're seeing all of the things come together and so that's that's really interesting and in like how it comes comes to be. And I was at an event uh, with students from schools all across Texas, and there was someone who's I think getting his MBA at UT who worked at Exxon and actually mentioned you as a example <laughs> of entrepreneurs coming from the energy industry of climate tech entrepreneurs, right? So, so you're one, you're famous. So I would, I, would, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would more throw myself in the category of like consumer products or transportation um, re regarding energy and the energy transition and everything. Like, yeah, I've seen things go boom at Exxon. Uh, I think at one point my signature was on like 100 plus emissions reports to the Railroad Commission. Mm -hmm. um, but I think one thing and we're, you know, it's kind of interesting that we're seeing it right now is that energy the the access to energy and the cost of energy has a direct correlation to like affluence mm -hmm. and like social mobility. And so yes, like countries that have utilized or like gotten energy more cheaply, whether that's via green e or, you know, traditional petroleum sources, um it significantly improves the standard of living for for a lot of people i think that there's a balance and a fine line between how do you transition and how do you maintain accessibility mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely uh we when we talk about climate tech and new energy companies we talk so much about investment mm -hmm. right yeah. and and that that's the measure of success and that is definitely key to success but getting the technology deployed to the communities and the places where they need it is actual success. And that's where making it accessible, right? Because if it is too expensive for anyone to use, it's not really solving anything, even if they got $100 million of investment, right? That there's a lot of key pieces 
to making it work. And, and so I think part of the, the key here is like Ufree is interesting because you can replace like a car in some ways. You definitely and, can. And, and I think you, you were telling me earlier, um, e-bikes is the fastest growing vertical within EVs. Today, yep. Right. And so ma- making a vehicle that is functional, usable, um, accessible, affordable, um, it, it, it's heralding a, you know, a change in how people can live. Right. And, and, and that's that's very interesting from a transition perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at it from like a scooter, mm-hmm. an e-bike, a one wheel, um, there's all these different modals. But the majority of your trips, I, I think I used to know the stat exactly, but like it's something like 67 percent of your trips are less than 10 miles mm-hmm. and less than five miles is like almost 90 percent of your trips. And that that can be done. Like I'll beat you from East downtown to Midtown on my e-bike versus your car even if I don't run red lights, <laughs> um, I'll definitely win if I run the red lights, but um, you can, you know, it's cheaper and it's more energy efficient and it's more accessible. And so I, I see micromobility as an, as an industry that's really taking off. Um, and hopefully there's going to be more like regulation or standards, standardization of components or parts or things like that as the, the industry matures. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely something that, would significantly impact energy usage and energy demand over a, like like for example a tesla like mm. you, you see like a crash test is like seventy thousand dollars and there's only so many people can buy that mm. and those people probably also aren't like in like energy mm-hmm. like deficient mm-hmm. lifestyles <laughs> yeah it's funny so uh, uh, at my office, um, I'm probably the only one who's biking in regularly. I do have an e-bike, uh, a janky one, um, and 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 I don't know what the barrier is because it, it, for me it is a, a two mil, uh, two mile bike ride, not even two miles. It's a six minute bike ride. Let's be honest. Uh, and and the only thing I can think of today is it's too hot to bike outside. But that being said, in the winter there aren't necessarily other e-bikers. So what what would be the 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 kind of change we would need to see even within Houston to promote people commuting on an e-bike. So if you look at it from like a regulation or legal standpoint, um, Europe, it has a very developed market of mm. e-bikes. I mean, Denmark, Copenhagen, mm. and also like Amsterdam are, are very, are also Switzerland. They, you know, there's a plethora of bicycles. Um, they have like infrastructure and systems around that, but also, the European regulations, like the max speed is like 25 kilometers an hour, which mm-hmm. is like 15 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Whereas the U.S. regulations, it's a bit gray. I think there's only like 36 states that have like a class one, two or three designation, but you can go up to 28 miles an hour. And there's plenty of people that kind of like jailbreak their e-bikes and go up to like 32, 35 miles an hour. Um, I highly advise you to go or highly advise against going beyond that just because there's like like from like a detailed engineering perspective. Mm. You need to do more work to to safely travel at mm. those speeds. Mm-hmm. But I think a class three e-bike and going 28 miles an hour gives you from just a safety perspective, you can go with the flow of traffic if there mm. isn't a bike lane. And you're definitely fast enough that even when it's hot, um, especially if it has a throttle, um, you're there's so much wind that you're not, you know, you're not you're not just like drenched in sweat when you get to where you're going. So even in Houston, even in hot, humid July, um, it's not bad to ride your e-bike and it doesn't feel bad. It is a lifestyle change. And it's something that in America, I think we're so married to the automobile Mm -hmm. that 
it, it's, it has to be kind of like a conscious decision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so definitely you think it's, it's a technology, making sure the technology is accessible, but hitting some of these technical requirements of speed, convenience that all, that, that really is unlocking the, the use case um, for, for everyday users and, and, and knowing already that they're, they're traveling less than five miles. I mean, five miles at 30 miles an hour is what, a 10 minute bike ride? Not even. Yeah, less yeah. than that. But yeah. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, like, you know, what are the reasons why you take a car? Mm-hmm. So one is you, versus like other forms of transportation. One is it's in your garage. So yeah. it's already there if you own the car. Yep. Um, the other one is, you know, you get exactly where you're going. You're in this pod. It's AC. You get to jam out to your music. If you're not on I-10, it's, you know, usually not. It's usually a pleasant ride. Mm-hmm. So you're comfortable. You get to where you're going. It And it's there. It's immediate. You don't have to wait on a bus or a train or something like that. So that's the the mindset of Americans, whereas the mindset of other countries where there's more of a developed public transit system or other things are more developed or, or other alternatives are more developed. There's not this threshold of like, I need to be super comfortable and it needs to be like mm. at my fingertips. Whereas like when I lived in Singapore, you would a lot of times take the, the like their form of the light rail. And, you know, if you've, or people that live in New York city or other places, like it's not that every time you show up to the subway, you don't wait a little bit. Yep. And it's just something you get used to. Whereas like in Houston, you were so married to the car that it's like, well, and the benefits is it's convenient. It's right there. It gets me where I'm going. And I think if you can, the the barrier for like going from hydrocarbons to greeny mm. is that it needs to be the same cost. And so like the thresholds have to be equal. Whereas yeah. so going from, hey, I'm driving a car to I'm going to ride my e-bike, the thresholds of comfort and accessibility need to be equal. And so for us, some of the things that we do is, yeah, it's a class three e-bike. You can go up to 30 miles an hour, 28, you know, just zipping around. You do feel safer. It has a full suspension mm-hmm. um, so that, you know, when you hit that pothole, it it comes with like storage capacity built in. And so those are the certain things that we kind of went through from a design perspective because you know it's nice to for me to just hop in my jeep uh and just plug in some music and go and the closer that you can get to that same experience is what is required for americans to to convert over it's gonna be much easier for like someone in new york city to convert over because they're already used to walking Mm. or using the subway or something like that how has the pandemic shifted people's attitudes have you seen an increase have you seen interest so the pandemic helped and hurt the bicycle industry. There was like a massive bicycle boom, just like there was a massive boom for like Netflix and, mm-hmm. you know, things that you could do outdoors or things like that. Um, it was probably the worst time for me to start the company. <laughs> um, demand was already there and it just like exploded that demand. So what it did was it lengthened supply chains. I think it at some point, like sometimes it was like 25 months mm-hmm. for different component contracts. And um also, I mean, for everybody that was shipping, international shipping, prices went through the roof. I never got to experience the golden days of like $5,000 a container. <laughs> um, though prices have started to crash pretty rapidly. But all that to be said, like the pandemic in cities, micromobility started to become a huge option because all of a sudden you have all these people that like can't use the subway because we can't be next to each other. But 
all those people necessarily don't want to financially go buy a car. And then even if they could financially go purchase a vehicle, there's just not the real estate footprint. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most inefficient ways to travel. Um, and so because the inf in, in places where the infrastructure wasn't built out, everyone started buying these like scooters or e-bikes or things like that. And that's one demographic sector. Another demographic sector is just, you know, like, like for example, my customer, a lot of people that wanted, Hey, I want to go outdoors. I want to exercise, but yeah, I'm afraid to, you know, ride a bicycle. I haven't done this in a long time. I'm not like the most physically fit hills are not the funnest for me. And, um, you know, for a myriad of reasons, a lot of people started getting into bicycling. And so the pandemic definitely spiked the industry. But I think along with that came a lot of other auxiliary issues. So I used to work at the city of Houston. And during the pandemic, we were working on the climate action plan that has a whole section on transportation. So this is kind of why I was asking, because we had thought, much like you said, and you said, mm -hmm. it's hot. Um, there's a, a lot of transportation emissions in Houston, but we had looked at uh, alternate fuels and like electric vehicles as that's how we're going to tackle emissions. And then the pandemic happened and almost overnight when everybody was working from home, we saw tons of Houstonians out mm -hmm. walking down the mm -hmm. street, um, walking on sidewalks if they were there um, and then biking. And the city has had beautiful bike plans for a long time. And that was really where you saw a shift from communities saying we want more bike infrastructure specifically. And so um, kind of like it, the pandemic took a lot of plans and put them in a blender and the priorities are still there, but they're in a different order. Yeah, yeah. And that really came to the top. And so definitely we hadn't really thought about e-bikes all that much in, in while we were planning it. And our emissions information was from 2014. So this was like Mm -hmm. uh, you know, an, another ago. world away from now, but super interesting to see how that fits in and that it's like a piece that there's not one, a one size fits all solution, um, but you are customizing a solution to fit an important part of the population. Yeah. And I mean, we, we really have two main demographics as far as our customers. We sell a lot to like older people and then to like inner city. I think at one point, like New York city was like 10% of our sales and it was like exclusively for delivery drivers because mm -hmm. our bike has a little bit longer range, mm -hmm. a little bit more comfortable. And um, it was kind of like, we had to kind of choose like, do we want to cater to the delivery drivers or do we want to cater to this other, you know, majority customer? But yeah, I, I'm excited to see that Houston is doing a lot of things for bicycling. And, and I think one of the issues that like the scooters or all these other like transportation modals have is just from a design perspective, like if you take a scooter, it has smaller wheels. Your center of gravity is really low. So when you hit a pothole, mm. it's also hard to have a suspension. You're going to kind of fly forward. So you end up having a lot of head trauma injuries. Also like older people or, you know, people that aren't like 12. Um, <laughs> you know, when's the last time you picked up your Razor scooter from from middle school? And it's it's been quite a while. And so bicycling is something that everybody knows how to do. And then from a safety perspective, it costs a lot, or not even from a safety perspective, from an infrastructure perspective, it costs a lot to put in these bike lanes. Mm -hmm. And if you can give someone an immediate solution to where whether there is a bike lane or not, they can feel somewhat safe going with the flow of traffic. Um, it, it, it gives you an opportunity to ride on roads when there isn't that infrastructure and it just re reduces the barriers of entry. Mm -hmm. So you talked about supply chain. Uh, are there other challenges you're seeing right now 
Oh, there's tons of challenges. I mean, the borrowing cost of capital just went up a few <laughs> points uh, with interest rates. Um, there's the world's in a lot of flux right now with regard to like there's geopolitical challenges, there's supply chain challenges, there's demand rebalancing, there's companies that were very well capitalized that went extremely long on their inventory just because they had these crazy projections that all of a sudden, you know, people have a little bit less money because of inflation. Mm. And then, you know, they're doing a massive fire sale on their products because mm. they have to move the inventory because they paid all this money for it. Um, there's there's a lot of things that like we could dive into any one of those yeah. topics. <laughs> well, then the flip side of that, why is why is now the time that people should be interested in your business and e-bikes in general? So with regards to e-bikes in general, I think from a like social governance or like ESG perspective, everyone needs to start to look at like even if gas was, you know, a dollar a gallon or $2 a gallon, like you should look at hey, how do we maintain like energy opportunities for everybody. One of the mm -hmm. biggest problems in Houston is that we don't have a very good public transit system from the fifth ward mm -hmm. to the med center mm -hmm. or anywhere. And there's, you know, if you look at social mobility, there are two main factors. One is education and the other is access to transportation. And an e-bike, if 80% if, if of your trips are less than 10 miles, you know, that, that is a solution for 80% mm -hmm. and it's much lower cost. Um, so you do get a massive amount of like, you in, improve accessibility to like people that just didn't have good transportation or waited on a bus system or things like that. And it was always, you know, you have this last mile problem. The bus doesn't take you to mm -hmm. where you need to go. It takes you close to where you need to go. And then you have this last mile. Um, so I think from that perspective, it, it's definitely opening up the doors for a plethora of people that weren't available. And I hope that it, people's like social mobility does change out of it. Um, why should you ride an e-bike like in Houston or in any other city um, outside of just, hey, the economics of, you know, if gas right now is a little bit expensive and you could probably pay for your e-bike pretty quickly by just replacing some of your trips. One of the things that I hated so much about, you know, living in downtown Houston or near downtown and working in Baytown was the commute home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it'd take me 30 minutes to get there at 6 a.m. in the morning or 7 a.m. in the morning. And it'd take me like an hour to get there if I left at 4.45. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. 45 minutes if I left at 4.30. Yep. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, you know, when you're driving, you get home and you're just exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I, we have a customer who lives in like, I think, Westview. And uh, or, and she, she rides her e-bike to downtown. And she'll go through like River Oaks and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. And I remember kind of when she first told me, I was like, but you cross 59 and like get all the way to downtown. Like, how do you, how do you do this? And she was like, oh, I've done so many routes. I've, I now see so many new places around the city. I didn't even know all these things existed. And, um, and she's like, and I'm not in a bad mood when I get home or when I get home, I'm not like mentally drained uh, because I've been like in traffic, mm -hmm. stressed. And she's like, and if I have a bad day at work, like, I just, you know, ride my e-bike and I get a little exercise and my endorphins and like when I get home, I'm energized. And so if you ever are like you or your partner or whatnot is in a bad mood when they get home from work, get them an e-bike. They <laughs> will feel better. Um, and you, you, you have a lot more exercise. Like one thing, like I use the Strava app and, mm -hmm. 
you know, when I like ride like my regular bike for exercise or whatnot, um, I think like eight to 12 miles an hour, I'll have like one heartbeat on my, my regular bike and I'll have like the same heartbeat, but at like 16 to 20 miles an hour. And so just the wind. Mm. And so you, you will get a decent bit of exercise and you will get healthier. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when you think about, uh, where we are in, in, in Houston and in the Houston ecosystem, I know you said, uh, you didn't necessarily start your company other than being in Houston, but are there, are there certain parts of the ecosystem that you're proud of that you would like? Uh, so actually we, about? we looked at not launching in Houston. Okay. And, um, <laughs> there you go. There we wrong. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, and we, we chose Houston for a, a number of reasons. One, when, when you look at my company, you have operations, you have supply chain, you have marketing, mm -hmm. and you have like product design. Mm. And those are kind of the four divisions. Yeah. You have sales and, you know, HR and all that crap. But <laughs> th that's really what my company is. Yeah. And, um, from like an operations perspective, you know, we put a job posting out the other day. And I got so many good qualified mm. candidates that had worked in manufacturing, warehouse operations, fulfillment. There's so much manufacturing here mm -hmm. and people that, you know, are operators mm -hmm. and just understand a safety culture, understand process. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you coming from the oil and gas industry, you know what I mean by like process. Mm -hmm. And uh, so like from a talent perspective, that was one thing. Also from a supply chain perspective, there's a wealth of freight forwarders. Um, there's a girl on my team who, man, she's a rock star. She speaks French, English, Japanese, and Chinese, and she can read and write in all those languages. And, you know, Houston has such a plethora of talent mm -hmm. and, um, she has done supply chain and quality control her, her entire career. Mm -hmm. And so from a supply chain perspective, you know, the talent is there. The, then the last thing from like a detail engineering perspective, there's so many design firms and so many engineers here. The thing that I'd say Houston is quite weak on is like digital advertising or marketing, but mm -hmm. in general, you third party that out to somebody in you know New York City or LA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about the like the innovation ecosystem as a startup? Did you tap into any of that, and how does how do you think that compares to other parts of the country? So I haven't been to like like San Francisco or well, I mean I've been to San Francisco, but I haven't like worked there mm -hmm. or been a part of like this like tech startup scene or like. Austin or New York city or things like that. So I, I don't have like a, a reference to measure it to. I think that, you know, every place is what you make it. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's like, Houston's a big city. There's obviously small companies. There's obviously big companies. There's dying companies. There's starting companies. And if you absorb yourself, you'll easily find them. So I don't think that like for me finding mentors or, like access to capital or, you know, finding like people that were interested in startups was like a problem. But I think that that's a you question or mm -hmm. you decision, not necessarily like, like, I don't think you need to go to New York city to find like, like good finance companies. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of finance companies. You just have to network with them and try. Does anyone think it's unusual for your company to be based in Houston? Uh, some people will ask, like, why are you based in Houston? And I'll just kind of say, like, well, we import a product and there's a seaport. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, another thing, I've never had more than a five-day, like, 
from container arrives at the port to my warehouse. And so you hear about these like horror stories in the West Coast or East Coast about like container ships just waiting out there. And that definitely did take happen, mm-hmm. but we haven't had that that happen in Houston. Um yeah, a lot of people ask me like, hey, wouldn't it have been better to like be in Austin or like isn't like, you know, bicycling Houston, you know, <laughs> it's not really known as like the bicycling city. And um yeah, we, we those were some of the things that we thought about. Like, hey, should we be in Austin and start mm-hmm. in Austin? You know, Lance Armstrong, I think, lives there. It's this massive bicycling community. But there's more competition. Mm-hmm. You also have to get the container from some port to Austin. That takes longer. Um, and it costs more. Um, real estate and other things are more expensive there. But there's also not, like, how many design engineers that are mechanical engineers or hardware-type product mm-hmm. engineers are in Houston versus Austin? How many like freight forwarding companies are in Houston versus Austin? How many operations people who do warehouse operations are in Houston versus Austin? So from a talent perspective, yeah, we, and it breaks my heart to say, we sell more bikes to Florida, California, New York, Colorado. Like Texas is not the most sold place, but from a talent and resource Mm -hmm. perspective, it's definitely been very helpful. Well, that's part of, part of kind of what we're trying to do is like demystify Houston's role in all of this Mm -hmm. and that it, there are lots of people who would be, um, who would question a e-bike company being based in Houston or climate tech. And that's like what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. but actually it makes perfect sense for all of the reasons that you beautifully said. And I think for that last part that if you're based here, you are taking your technology to cities all over the country, all over the world. And that's also pretty unique to Houston, that you have all of the the resources and the tools that you need to make that happen. And we have a pretty broad umbrella of what climate tech is. So yeah. it's, it's oil and gas technology and it's electric bikes and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a, a big misnomer is that like, you know, the oil and gas industry is like against the, the, the climate tech change. And there are people that are definitely opposed to each other. Um, I think there needs to be like a recognition on both sides of like how they need to work together Mm -hmm. simply because like there's a ton of people that I worked with at Exxon that one were good at their job and incredibly smart, but also were very passionate about environmental things. And if you could do something more efficiently, would try to do it more efficiently. Mm -hmm. When you think about, uh, the global change we're seeing with with mobility. Uh, what are the the biggest things that uh, Houston could do to to lead the way? I think one of the biggest things Houston could do to lead the way would be to have to to kind of take a step back and say we're very very married to the automobile, <laughs> and it's a a very inefficient system. And if they like are willing to not just recognize but acknowledge that fact you then get an opportunity to make some changes. Um, the light rail, mm-hmm. a lot of people use it. Um, it And people, the number one reason why people will say they don't use it is like, well, it's not big enough. It's like, well, make it bigger, <laughs> expand <Yeah>. it. <laughs> um, I think you can't just continually, like I-45 sucks, but are you going to, is it a realistic, like, what are we going to do about it? Well, one, we could make it like the Katy freeway and just make it bigger and wider. But I mean, 
you know, when you look at like the flow of water mm -hmm. or just, you know, it's, it, it goes to the path of least resistance. You make a highway bigger, it's going to get filled up until it's filled. Mm -hmm. And you make a highway smaller and the other side streets are going to, you know, it's going to equilibrate. And so making I-45 bigger is not going to like reduce congestion because Katy Frio is what, like 26 lanes? Yeah. <laughs> and it's congested as hell. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> All the time. So I, I think that, you have to look at one, you got to recognize that the automobile is what we're married to and we're in a like very, very intimate relationship with it. Yes. And, um, there are some negatives to that, but, and if you're okay with those negatives, then okay, don't change. But if you do see a reason to change, then probably you'd need to look at some different alternatives. And I think that e-bikes are one of the, or micro mobility is one of the alternatives that people can afford and can solve that last mile of transportation problem. Um, Houston does have a pretty extensive bus system. And I think that, I mean, it'd be nice if you had something from Baytown to Katy that was like a light rail or from a light rail from like downtown to the airports. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the airports for sure. Uh, I'm trying to remember my stats that I used to know that Houstonians drive 33 billion, have 33 billion vehicle miles traveled per year which is the equivalent of like 170 trips to the sun, round trips <laughs> to the sun. Like it's it's huge. But then you think about where Houston is and you think that we were founded because of transportation mm -hmm. and that we've got I-10 and 45 I mean, it's a, it's a very spread and out city. 59. And like a lot of the travel is not actually Houstonians, right? It's people from Florida who are going to California. Hmm. But the part that Houstonians can do is think about your individual travel. And if you're driving to Dallas, you're going to drive to Dallas. But um, I do think right now people are starting to think, what can they do differently to get out of traffic? For the first time ever, we really are thinking, like, do you want to expand a highway? In our history, the answer would always have been absolutely yes without blinking an eye. And so, so things are changing. Yeah. Well, also, you know, expanding the highway was so much easier when, like, like Houston's growing and there's more neighborhoods and now expanding a highway tears off a neighborhood, whereas it would have just, you know, cut down some trees before. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, then it becomes a different problem. Yeah. So uh, I'm just looking at the clock. So uh, one of the uh, things uh, I wanted to say here is that we really appreciate you having you here. Um, how can Houston help you succeed? And, and Houston would be the audience or just the city. Um, man, how can Houston help me succeed? <laughs> um, I think one thing that Houston could do for not just like me, but just like small companies in general or startups is that there isn't really a good like, like network mm -hmm. of like problem and solution in that, you know, you, you usually have to kind of go find it or, or things like that. And to some degree, that's always going to be the case. So I'm not saying like that that's like an, like a problem because that's also just initiative on your part. But, um, Houston can can look at like growing industries and become an opportunity. You have so many immigrants here. You have mm -hmm. so many different diversity of people. Um, there's a ton of ideas. And there are people that come from other parts of the world here. I think it's the most diverse city in the U.S. Is that, mm -hmm. is that true? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so we should have just a mix and mash of ideas. And to some degree, like, a lot of ideas is not even like I came up with it. It's just like, hey, I used to live in the UK. They did it this way. 
And you know, if we did it this way here, and you know what, I came up with this idea and you claim, you claim that it's all yours, but really you just copied it from somewhere else. And there should be so many new ideas coming out of Houston if we like harvested, mm -hmm. you know, that. And I think that a lot of people have bits and pieces of an idea and the collision of ideas and, mm. and you know, creating that space for it. Because really we should be just based on some like general data, like a much more innovative city than we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how, how can people learn more about you free? Yeah. Oh, how do I get one? You just go to <laughs> yeah. youfree.com. Um, <laughs> So it, also you freeze the combination of the words euphoric and free. Hmm. And uh, we, we get a lot of interesting like pronunciations, but for the most part, people kind of like you free, you free, <laughs> 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 free? am I saying that right? Like, yeah. Like, Hey, you free later. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, you can go to our website. We ship all across the U S we in general try to ship within 24 hours, but we aren't Amazon. And if it takes 48 or 72, um, don't get mad at us. Hey, that's good these days, right? It is pretty yes. good. Yeah. And, and if people want to reach out to you specifically, Daniel, how, how should they find you? Or are you just trying to stay under the radar? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or um, I'm trying to think what, like, I don't really use Twitter. I uh, I work quite a bit. I have a TikTok account, but I've never posted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm probably LinkedIn's the best way. Okay. All Maybe right. I should get like a Twitter, like a more accessible way to reach out to me. Yeah. And, and if you wanted to leave, uh, I guess, one last thought for, for our audience here, is there any parting advice you want to leave? Um, I think the only advice that I'd have for, you know, people, I think that people look at Houston as like not like the best place to start a company mm -hmm. or something like that, but it has a ton of advantages, like, for example, talent and, and, and resources. And, you know, that's really the reason why we, we, we stayed in Houston, didn't go to like a sexy location like New York or Austin or something like that. Um, there's a ton of structural advantages. Like the port of entry is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people also underestimate Houston from like just a hardware perspective in that I have had to get things made that I could get made because there's so many fabrication shops here in Houston. They're not always cheap, but, <laughs> um, you can get it done. Um, and then also Houston's like, it, it has this kind of grit and grind culture. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that culture is in a lot of ways underappreciated. Yeah. I think we're still the wild west, right? <laughs> that you are. can come here with an idea and you can make it happen. And you really have a lot of freedom. That freedom from a zoning perspective, freedom from just like we're, we're in Texas, that people think of these things often as a negative. But when you're thinking about being innovative, Sometimes the lack of rules can actually be the best possible canvas. Mm. Yeah. Don't put a e-bike regulation. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk no, I think about I think regulation in our industry would help a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being with us, Daniel. And uh, we'll direct people to youfree.com. Yeah, thanks, yes. guys. Appreciate thanks. It.